Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we get to welcome the incredible Ray Livingston to the show. Ray, uh, you may recognize him from season six of Alone. Uh, the first season aired this past couple months ago, Mud, Sweat, and Beards, with our good friend Donnie Dust. He's also been called to the wild on National Geographic, and he's very prominent on TikTok now and social media, and uh, Ray is a wealth of knowledge and inspiration and an incredible survivalist, and uh, Ray, it's great to have you on here today. Well, it's my pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you. Uh, before we hit record, you had your uh, crow you rescued, Braun. Uh, kind of tell us, kind of tell us how that came to be. It is like, for me, I'm kind of blown away that a bird that's so wild would find comfort in a total stranger's house. <laughs> yeah, um, Bran. You know, I found out. I don't know. I think it was like 2015, 2016. You know, that uh, my spirit guide was the raven. And so I've got a, a pretty strong connection with corvids in general, uh, crows and ravens specifically. Um, and I've always wanted to have one. And I, I've had, I think, four or five. And they keep, generally come to me injured. And I try to nurse them back to the health and release them if I can. Or a couple of them just uh, kind of ended their, 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 their time on this place with me. Um, and, uh, I think one, uh, the real story is one day I was walking through the woods and I was like, you know, universe, I'd like to have a healthy, uh, baby crow or raven that would imprint upon me and be my friend and, uh, and, and guide in this world. And the next day, a friend of mine called me and said, uh, Hey, my boss has this baby crow. <laughs> and uh so i went over and picked it up and um he's been with me since it's been about uh two and a half months i believe there is something uh, I mean, obviously we can always relate to the movie the crow where those that aren't aware of the comic book of the movie where the, the crow basically oversees this guy that gets murdered and he gives him the powers it, it's this very mystical spiritual but there's something really poetic about it it's I've always been blown away by anytime you see a raven or a crow, you're always thinking, well, death is looming or there's another presence or they're watching something. It's like, how do you get drawn into loving the Corvids, the crows, the ravens? Like, oh. what, what about that makes it like appealing to you? First of all, they're among the smartest animals on the face of this planet. Um, you know, they've got a long standing uh, spiritual significance and many different cultures um you know they, they are said to be the messengers between worlds you know raven or odin used them to go out and gain information about the world and then come back and, and report back to him uh about this world and the next you know um they're, they're a bit of a trickster you know there's there's a lot of a lot of uh folklore around the ravens and crows uh um and like you know, 
it's kind of an honor like to to be to be to be befriended by an animal that that uh, and trusted by an animal that is highly intelligent i mean i mean ravens can learn to speak better than parrots you know they've got the, the enough intellect to solve like multi-step problems use tools uh they have a huge vocal language range and uh, uh and just a great problem solving ability and so you know that's I'm, I'm i'm honored you know anytime that you can find you can find a connection with wildlife uh it, it it feels good but when it's a particularly intelligent animal that feels like a blessing it's it's well it's just so cool when you post about the bird and stuff it's like i have a difficult enough time trying to get dogs or cats to play with me and here you have a uh a crow that's just on your shoulder talking to you it's, uh, bathing next to you and if when you have other animals, which you do, I want to talk about how you kind of what your living situations like. But when other animals see that bird reacting to you, that must give them a sense of comfort as well, correct? Like other animals, their intuition must be like this person really cares about the environment, about our life, about animals. I think I think so. Um, you know, uh, Brand has doesn't go out with me a whole lot yet. Uh, he he's he's I given his opportunity for freedom a couple of times and he went and spent one night alone out in the out in the forest around my house and the next morning he was like ah, 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 let me in um i think you know animals are are definitely more connected and more intuitive though all of them um and so you know i think like you and i can sense the energy of a room or the energy of this person and you kind of like you know it either attracts you or, or repels you and so I, th I definitely believe that the animals have that ability probably much more so than humans do. Um, and so, you know, I, I was told in a, in a recent reading that, uh, you know, I've got a, a huge number of animal spirit guides. So for me and the, my beliefs and the way I walk through the world, uh, it's just, you know, just, just for some reason, this particular one has something to tell me. And so he's, he's sitting, he's coming in a little closer, but you know, I find my truth and I find my guidance in nature and, and generally with, uh, with animals. What is the process before, like when you reach out to like an animal spirit guy, like how is that, is that something you've always kind of done with your upbringing or like, I don't know how, like if I wanted to reach out to someone like that, how would I go about doing it? You know, for me, uh, no, it wasn't part of my upbringing. It's just kind of something that developed when I spent more and more time in nature and developed a, a better connection with nature. And, you know, for me, it's generally, you know, uh, like I think, I think the world, nature, God, the universe is always talking to us in different ways. Um, and it's most of the time, you know, because of, the limits of what social beliefs are supposed to be, most people um, don't see those things, you know. And once you kind of start getting in tune with them, you know, nature, nature, or God, or whatever, whatever your focus, whatever way that you're able to connect with the, the signs and higher power, um, once you start connecting, it's op more open. And so for me, it's like. I spent and spent time with nature and then I would see an animal and a lot of times, you know, sometimes when you see a raven, it's just a raven. 
And sometimes it's when you see one, it's not. It's just kind of use your intuition based on the contact and you kind of contemplate what was going on, what's going on in your life. What might that, that, uh, that contact be trying to tell you and to kind of just use your intuition. And I let my intuition be my guide based on that. So it's, you know, it's definitely highly personal. What, what you would get out of an interaction with, uh, of the same nature would probably be different than what I would get out of it. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, I guess in, in a way, a, a way to just refocus our thoughts and intuition, remind us of things we should already know. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, just spend time for me, just spend time with nature and connect with nature. And you're, you're, when the student is ready, the guide will appear or the teacher will appear. One of the things you've been posting about lately is this, uh, the apex predators, like the, the panthers or the cougars and all this stuff. And for me, you kind of brought the idea of how I react to an animal as opposed to how you'd react. And I'm st- like you, I'm in awe of any time an animal of that level of magnitude and power and precision is out there doing what it does. It's, it's such a rush. Like I can watch trail cameras all day of those animals in the wild, even bears to even these top animals, just doing what they do and preserving the pecking order uh, of a circle of life. And it's like for you, who also is able to hunt them and track them. It's apex animal versus apex animal. They kind of explain the rush of that because there's something really primal about two people at the top of the food chain going at each other. No, I wouldn't say so much. I, I, I get a rush out of it. I mean, for me, I am, I am, I'm helping the ecosystem, you know, right now the apex predators are well out of balance. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, while I love these animals, I, I love seeing them. It, it does give you a rush just to see them and understand the, the sheer power uh, that they have and the ability to hunt you back, <laughs> quite frankly. And I'm doing stuff to get me closer to, the, to these animals. So, you know, there is definitely, anytime you're, you're hunting or, or, or observing wildlife, you should have you should have some great feelings and you should have a great appreciation for the contact, especially with these animals that are elusive. They do not want to be seen or by us for the most part. But, um, you know, I, I, I look at it, what I'm doing more as a service, as, as a helping hand for the ecosystem, because with the predators out of balance, the, the, uh, the ecosystem is out of balance. And so by helping get an equilibrium, the predator populations, the undulate populations, and even the flora of the area will, will thrive better um, because of that balance. And so it's just a little bit out now. So I'm doing my part to help. Am I the end all be all? Will I help while I save an ecosystem by myself? No, but I'm, I'm one of those people that I'm not going to sit back and complain about it and do nothing about it. And, you know, I'm going to do my part. And if a number of other people do their part, we can, we can help maintain that balance. I've always found when there's those, those toxic groups like PETA and other groups that are like anti-hunting or anti-second amendment, whatever it is where it pertains to animals and the ecosystem, they always skew it in a way that they don't really understand what you just said, that you have to preserve and protect the ecosystem. And if, if there's too many deer, they're eating the crop that the farmers can't feed the cow to produce the, and so this whole circle of this whole idea of everything's connected. Is it difficult to be yourself 
and obviously there's countless others like you, men and women that are at the forefront of this. When you have to deal with those people that are like, well, why you kill the animals? It doesn't make any sense when they don't want to listen to the facts. Oh, and first of all, I'll say I actually have a lot of respect for PETA, uh, Defenders of Wildlife, um, those organizations. And I, I've gone through their pages and read it, and we're really on the same page on everything except for the actual final solution. And you know, I, while I don't agree with some of the propaganda tactics that they use to pass certain legislation and the way that they, they put that off without looking at that big picture that you mentioned, that it's a circle of life, that there's a balance to maintain. That's where we differ. But for, for their goal as, as pre preserving wildlife, we have the same goal. We just look at the, the I, I think I'm looking at, at it in a more complete picture that, you know, life, there's there, you know, natural selection, there is some death that's required. That, that's, that's how natural selection is how we're still here <laughs> because we're, because the, you know, we all adapt to the species and, and I'm, I think one of the main differences is I don't take us humans out of the natural world. We are part of the circle of life. You know, people say, you know, well, humans are encroached upon the forest. Well, we're a being of this earth just as much as anybody else. And we're going to do what our species does as a being of the earth. But we can coexist to some degree. We can set healthy boundaries. We can help. We're the only species that has the ability to, to affect the ecosystem in such a great way, quickly. And so with that, I think we also have a responsibility. I mean, this is not the 1700s or the 18, early 1800s where we're trying to eradicate an entire species of animal. Um, right. We're just trying to keep those predators in balance and, and hunting wasn't the thing that really decimated like the wolf population or cougar population or, or any of the animals it really went down to, they went down to poisoning and that's when the the huge population uh declines but hunting in and of itself will not be a truly effective way to to uh control populations especially in this day and age because we have both less hunters and less hunters that are willing to target apex predators you know, in the case of Idaho, once they started allowing wolf hunting in Idaho, uh, even in the years that they've harvested through hunting and trapping the most number of wolves, the populations are growing. You know, we're basically just as hunters and trappers, we're just trying to, to keep that equilibrium longer. Ultimately, it is mother nature that will yeah. set that balance as, as the predator population gets high and the undulate population gets low and, and vice versa. Ultimately, mother nature will do that. We're just trying to help minimize the highs and the lows a little bit uh, as hunters, as trappers, as conservationists and, and wildlife management peoples. What I love about hunting, so we'll go to my parents, uh, my mom's side of the family, they're hunters and dairy farmers up in rural New York. And the first time I remember my grandfather, my uncle's taking me out there, they're like, okay, tell me about the process, how to do the tagging, the licensing, basically all the stuff. And I've always loved firearms, respected mm. firearms. And when, when the first time they shot, they said, well, John, anyone can shoot a deer. It's like what you do next. And it's like the learning how to hide the animal and then what organs, how to 
uh, prepare the meat. I mean, we do everything from sausages to steaks and all this stuff and jerky. But okay, now what? Now you can use the antlers to make it the head of a cane or some sort of thing. It's like using every respecting the hell out of this animal and using every part of it to to just it's just it just kind of blew my mind because it's like it's so easy to pull a trigger and be like, Oh, I got my tag for the day. Here's my trophy. But it's like, what do you do with after that stuff? Like, how do you give back? Or like, what do you, there's gotta be that fair trade-off and it's cool seeing my family do that where it's like, they respect these animals. And from my perspective also, you add that these animals are edible. Like cougar is one of the best tasting things in the forest. Never had it. Yeah. It's, it's like pork. It's great. Like if the population is high, and the and they're having a negative the because the population is high they're having a ne- negative effect on undulate populations, and in some areas the undulate populations are uh, at pretty low levels. It seems from a hunter's ethic perspective one of the top animals that we should have on our, on our to hunt list because they're plentiful they taste good and it's going to have a positive effect on the environment. So like, like I love seeing them. I'm, and for me, like I've been a hunter 33 years since I was 14. I've had a number of opportunities to harvest bears and cougars. I've, until this year, I never have. I've had, like I said, I've had bears 20 yards from me that didn't know I was there. And, you know, I, at, at that time, the populations really weren't out of, out of, too out of whack. And I didn't have a particular desire to to harvest them so i didn't i've i've sat and watched bear cubs play i've sat and watched cougars and a a cougar cougar lioness with a couple of full-grown cubs playing for 45 minutes you know it's not i'm not one of those like like i didn't have a desire there didn't seem to be a need to harvest those animals back then so I've changed my perspective on it now, for now, because of the numbers being out of whack. And I, I'm a big proponent of, of, of hunting and harvesting what is plentiful. And they are what's plentiful right now. And doing so will have a positive effect on our environment. So, yeah, I use use them all. You Use what you everything you can. I mean, you can use just about every part of the, the animals for for stuff down to the ligaments, you know, the, the skin, the claws, some of it's for practical purposes and some of it's for decorative purposes, but, uh, but it's all usable. When it comes to preparing your duty pack, does it really vary if you say you're going hunting a bear or a lion versus a deer or uh, a squirrel, like whatever you're doing, do you carry the same standard pack or do you have to add stuff if you're going after something much larger? Mm. It's pretty much the same standard pack with little variations, like, you know, um, like in uh, hunting predators, I'm using electronic call. So I've got to figure figure in, you know, the electronic call and and other components that go with that. But for the most part, my pack is pretty much packed at all times and it has what I need to go out and hunt uh, or, you know, to go venture off into the woods. And then there's a couple little variations, but pretty much the same thing. Right. When it came, what I love about the show alone is basically, I love the the introductions for every person. Everyone's so different. And in season six, obviously, people are familiar with the show. You're given, you're on the, you're on the season and you're given a list of items to bring out there with you. Is there ever a time where you go back and be like, as you've got older and wiser to change that top 10 list of items you're bringing, or would you just do the same thing again? 
gosh. Yeah, I think if if I was to do it again, the only the only thing, and I I don't know, I mean, like twelve items would have been perfect. Yeah. Ten items is hard because there was like one or two things that like what do I give up for this? But I probably would have taken a a food item of some sort. You know, and it's kind of hard because the food item, if the food item rations that you can take are fairly small. And so you're giving up a potentially valuable tool that you can use for the duration of your time for a fairly small ration. But I think, um, you know, if I if that ration would help you kind of give you some time to figure out some more stuff. You know, my, my spot, you know, um, like there wasn't a whole lot of terrestrial life, you know, um, I was on an island. And so, but there was a lot in the, in the, in the water and I wasn't efficient, efficiently fishing. And uh, soon, as soon as I got out, within a couple of days, I realized why. And so, you know, over here where I'm at, you know, when, it, when the bite is slow, you kind of size down your lure and you slow down things down. Well, I realized realized over there there's a uh, there is basically like six or seven different species of lake trout that breed and eat each other, and one of the one of the guys that works there, Shane, just a just a heck of a dude, uh, took me out fishing and he was telling me about how he had a ten pound lake trout on and you know ten pound lake trout good sized fish. Well, there's a fifty pound lake trout trying to eat it off his line like when you're fishing salmon and the sharks like so that is the environment that there was and I didn't understand it so you know had I gone back I would have sized up I had the equipment to do it you know but um yeah I mean the the, the big I probably would have tr traded something out for food but then again you know if I had to do it again I might have a situation where right those tools, I mean, it's always a crapshoot because you don't know exactly what you're going to get dropped into. You have a general idea, but um, but I think the big thing with if I was going to do another challenge like that again is, you know, I, spending time with Donnie Dust and uh, and and our time on doing some of the different locations of mud, sweat, and beards. You know, we talked about that fish first mentality. Like, you know, fishing takes a whole lot less energy, put and you get the protein, you get the fats, you get the stuff that you that you need without expending a whole lot of energy. So, so I probably would have spent more time researching the fishing aspect first of uh, the location we're going. Well, let's talk more about the mud sweat beers because I think that was one of the coolest programs to come out during the pandemic. And we've had Donnie on the show before, good friend, awesome. And sort of like you, I came across Donnie through TikTok. I'm like, who's this guy making uh, deer uh, fish hooks and candles and swords like in, the, in a cave? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> and I, I got I was so enthralled by it, which is why I reached out to him and in turn reached out to you. This type of when it comes to working with someone like that, how cool is it to learn from him? And I, I, I'm assuming knowing him, he's learning from you as well because your approach to some stuff is different than his. And so how unique of a, like an environment was that to film that first season of Butt Sweat Beers? It was pretty awesome. Like I, I have a huge amount of respect for Donnie Dust. I mean, the man is a wealth of knowledge and skills and, and life experiences that uh, that have me in awe. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I love that man. And he and, and we do approach things a lot differently, you know. I was born a city kid, and and uh, 
you know, I never really considered myself a survivalist. I, I, I really got into outdoors as a, as a hunter, uh, and, uh, and I enjoy hunting and, but I taught myself survival skills because I spent most of my time hunting alone and I wanted to, I kept going deeper and deeper into the forest and the wilderness. And so I wanted some basic skills so that if I lost my pack or if I, if I hurt myself, that I could, um, lower the odds of me dying <laughs> out there. And, uh, and somehow that I tripped on the TV doing it <laughs> in, in the survival genre. Um, and I've enjoyed it and I've learned a lot from, from my experiences all the way around and from many people, but being with Donnie was like, you know, it just look when you're out with somebody that you, you both have the same goal, but you look at things from different perspectives, you know, one, it could either go extremely great or it can go ex terribly, terribly wrong. But both Dottie and I are pretty open-minded and able to look at things and discuss things. And we don't, you know, don't think our way is the only way we understand there's a, a, a hundred ways to skin a cat. Um, and how evolved is like USA Network with the show was on? How evolved do they, where they're kind of like, do they want that tension? Or do they want this actual situation where two guys who don't really know each other have to survive? Like, is it? I'm always so cautious to watch some of these shows and there are some amazing ones, um, but some of them are just like, they're just trying to feed on this. They're trying to create this tension. That's not really there. And I think it takes away from the people that are trying to do what they do best. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. Yeah. There's a couple of shows that I, I heard are pretty much like that. And, and it, it can be a lot of that within the, the survival reality TV right. show genre. But this show USA awesome. Network wanted the actual opposite of that. Yeah. They wanted like survival. It was like survival is tough, but you can have fun doing it. And uh, like, it was like, uh, oh, we get to go out and be ourselves. We get to go out and be our stupid jokester, have fun <laughs> self. But, you know, we didn't like, you know, my ax broke during the thing. Didn't, like that was one of my major tools and one of my favorite tools. And I just kind of went, eh. Okay, I, what they didn't show is I actually I broke it broke and I was like huh and I just went back and I start, kept cutting with the with the with the broken handle it just kind of goes on and the, and the camera uh, the director of photography Erica she's like wait a minute wait a minute something just happened you can't just like go on. I was like yeah it happened it broke whatever we, we, we I still gotta cut this log like what do you what do you do we just kind of keep going and and make things work and so. Um, yeah, and just kind of not not wanting to. They didn't make us be dramatic or, or have tension between each other. Right. That's not, I don't I don't think we either of us would have signed up for that show. If and, that and, was, I th yeah. and I think what I love about it too is the fact that it comes off as so sincere. You're both super positive and educated, and it's because you look so different from each other, and it's like it's one of those things where it's like. You're watching. It's like if anyone, like if two different people get together, and do what they're doing here. Why can't we, at the larger scale in the whole world, do Amen. this? A white guy, black guy, an Asian woman, a guy in a wheelchair. There's a guy that's straight or gay. There's a guy that's gay. And you know what? Why can't we all work together, have fun doing it, and still accomplish the mission? That's what I love about that show. The answer is we can. That's the thing. It's like people's people's egos and and personal agendas get in the way. But if if our goal is to thrive together, we, we can't accomplish it. It's just we got to get over ourselves a lot of the times. One of the things everyone's always said about you 
is that you're so positive. And having met you and hung out with you, you are very positive. This year you talk now, you're super positive. But there must be, is there ever a time in your life where you're, maybe the pandemic where you feel down on yourself or there's a life situation at home or something where you're kind of like, it's tough to put that face on, to be that positive person. The other people look out to you for that positivity. Well, for me, you know, like I, I, I don't believe in what they call toxic positivity, like just fake it till you make it. You know, I walk through the world with the perspective that everything is happens as it should. Everything is, is the universe or God's way of moving us from where we are to where we be and that or to where we need to be and that no growth really happens without, without turmoil, without some hardship. So, you know, it's, it's basically I, I can be positive because it's my perspective that whatever I'm going through is to help me grow, to get me closer to the next blessing. And so in, 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 in the end, that turmoil, that hardship is part of my blessings. And so I can either choose to let that be an anchor and holding me back and I can focus on the hardship and my poor, my poor self for having to go with that hardship. Or I could look past that hardship and ask myself, what is this hardship trying to teach me? How can I grow from this? How can I learn from this? And when you look at things like, look at the, in that perspective, there's really nothing not to be positive about. And just, it takes some time and effort to be able to kind of get to that point. But now it's just like, okay, this crappy thing happened to me. Like I, I on my last hunting trip, like I, when I pulled into town, my, my, uh, my uh, thermostat went out of my car and the Sunday, so I couldn't get the parts. I, okay, I figured out how to rip out the guts of my thermostat from the housing and put it on there. I get up into the woods and both of my rear shocks break off, <laughs> break off, and I'm bouncing around uh, uh, going through the woods. Before that, before I can get to town to get that fixed, my, my dog gets skunked. <laughs> like, and you just, you just deal with what, one thing at a time. Like, okay, I figured out the thermostat. It was still leaking. Okay, I went into town when the, when the, later when it was open. Got a, got a new thermostat, got it put on, found my shock, got them put on, you know, but, you know, so, you know, I look at that as like, you know, it happened when I was in a town. It didn't happen out in the middle of the desert anywhere where I'm, I'm hauling a trailer when I got animals and stuff with me. Like, like those things happened when I was in a place where I can address them and I had the means to address them. And that's, that means that for me, it's like, okay, so what am what am I supposed to take from this? You know, like there's, you know, there's, while the universe is giving me a hardship, it's also not stranding me out in the middle of nowhere. And even then there's a lesson in that, you know? Right. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's for me, it's just, I look at everything as, as, as something that's intended, that's, that, has, that has a higher purpose and a higher presence and, and more significance in my life and my path and steering my path a certain way than the hardship in the moment. And because of that, and because I don't let that hold me back because I'm looking forward for that blessing, what is the blessing in this? It's easy to stay positive because <laughs> everything is positive, even, even the hardships. But sometimes when you get referred to as a modern survivalist, I kind of chuckle because I'm always someone that's like, if, if I'm out there at the fire, can I start a fire with rubbing some sticks together or using a boat? Sure. 
But if I have a lighter, why would I use the lighter to light it or a match? And it's like, there's a, I think sometimes people get so hopped up on the idea that, well, you're not a traditional survivalist. Well, it's like survival doesn't mean you have to, it's using the tools you have. And I love that you have that same approach too, where it's like, hey, if I have a lighter or I have a knife, I'm going to use it. Why need to make one if I don't need to? Yeah, exactly. And then surviving is just that. <laughs> like, it's not like when, you, when you're talking about actually surviving, there's no rules. Right. Like if you're in a real survival situation and it's either you die or you don't die, you're going to use everything at your disposal. And so I put myself in situations where if something went catastrophically wrong, I could definitely die. And so while I do know how to rub sticks together, do you understand? Most people don't understand how much time and energy you may looking at four four hours to two days. To, you know, I mean, now mind you, in, in New Mexico, me and Donnie <laughs> like fifteen minutes. You know, it depends on where you're at. But I live in the Pacific Northwest, and it's a temperate rainforest. So here, like you, you go prepared. I I carry a propane blowtorch in my pack because I've been on on search and rescue missions where. If I needed to warm somebody up or warm myself up, if I got hypothermic, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do that with what's at hand at three o'clock in the morning in the dark in the pouring rain. You know, so I take and use and 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 uh, encourage people to take and use the tools that will make sure that without there's not a question that you're going to be able to get a fire. You know, there's not a question that you're going to be able to purify water, you know, uh, and in, in any condition. So, you know, mind you, I'll go out and do the survival shows or I'll go out on on missions to to test my skills and hone those skills so that if and when I, I have to use them, I, I am either they're sharp still, but day in and day out, I'm going to take I'm going to take the tools that are going to give me the highest chance of survival in the worst case scenario. Yeah, of course. And you mentioned the search and rescue stuff. When you were doing like the police, like the canine, the, the tracking and the search stuff, is that something that would you, obviously we don't have to get political here, but the last couple of years, the whole defunded thing and the law enforcement, everything going on in the world, is it tough to, for you to see that happen when you know the brothers and sisters that do what you did and stuff that are affected by that? No, mind you, those are two real separate things. I, I was a police officer for the city of Eugene for a, a couple of years. And um, and then the search and rescue, I was a volunteer canine handler for. Uh, we were certified through uh, Clackamas County Sheriff's Office in Oregon. But so those are really two separate things. Um, as a police officer, you know, some of the defund movement, I mean, I, I definitely can understand and see some of the frustrations with certain groups of people and, 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 uh, and, and I guess they definitely need yeah, of areas, areas of improvement in law enforcement as well. But um, the, the idea really shouldn't be to defund them. Uh, it is to, to amend the hiring processes and amend and, and amend the accountability portion. I think that's the big part for right. me. You know, because, um, you know, as a police officer, I know most police officers, even even when they know there's something wrong, kind of don't, there's the blue line, whether we like it or whether we like it or not, Correct. you just kind of don't. And, and quite in some departments and in some cities, it can be 
deadly or da- dangerous or deadly for you to cross that. Yeah, toxic. So you've got concern. You've got concerns for your own self and your own career. Uh, while while you're in a situation where officers are doing stuff, but making making other people accountable, like basically, you know, something something that I would I would suggest that departments took up as a as a policy is that if Officer Johnson is convicted of something or is found guilty of doing this thing at, or, or or whatever, and it comes out that you knew about it, you should lose your job, and you didn't say anything. There should be that level of accountability. If you knew about it and you said nothing, you should do your, your you lose your job, is so that other officers are now incentivized uh, in a very real way to actually to hold each other accountable. Um, because I think, you know, just some, I mean, all the police departments, they go through psychobiles and testing and everything that, and just some people are, you know, just like any narcissist anywhere, you know, they, they can, they can trick you, they can trick our sisters and mothers into, into getting into really screwed up situations and they can trick their way up onto a police department and then, uh, and then do some horrendous things, but it's really not law enforcement as a whole. It's not the culture. It's not what law enforcement is about. But in any profession, you're going to see some bad apples. And the overwhelming majority of law enforcement officers are just awesome, amazing people that yeah. put their life on the line every day to help their community and to help people, oftentimes despite themselves. But, but they, they really have a goal is to help people. Um, and those bad apples just, and now in the day and age where, you know, it, it, our news is filled with yes. just bad news, uh, it gets highlighted. Don't get me wrong. It, it happens. No, they're bad. Yeah, it, sure. happens, it happens and it's widespread, but it is not most police officers by any means. When every time I see like a TV show or a movie about whether you like a search and rescue scene, uh, usually it's in a crime procedural show like SVU or something. I'm always blown away by the almost like the communication of how it gets put together. Like so when you when you're a volunteer, obviously you're probably working with another agency or someone who's kind of spearheading it. But in terms of who sets like the parameters, like if if it's up by you, the Pacific Northwest, I assume 50 mile radius is if that's 50 miles there, 50 miles in the desert to be a lot different train wise, temperature wise. So how do they kind of break down the search and rescues based on like what area someone's to be missing in? So, yeah, I was, my group is a volunteer group. It was mountain wave search and rescue out of uh, Clackamas County, Oregon. And uh, we were certified by the Clackamas County Sheriff's office, but we work with uh, sheriff's offices throughout the uh, Pacific Northwest, like Oregon and Washington. So, when a person goes missing and the call comes in, the sheriff's offices, it's the sheriff's office's job to deal with search and rescue situations. So the sheriff's office owns those, owns those calls and they go and they generally will send someone out to assess it and see what kind of resources that are necessary. Um, oftentimes, if you don't have anything to go with, you can't just deploy people to generally wet Western Oregon. You know, <laughs> to look for the people, but you can put out information there. But like once if you say you find a vehicle or the person left that I'm gonna be hiking this place and they and you they you know they send a deputy there and they find their car in the parking lot and it, you know it's been there, you know, they they'll take the information that they have and 
each each one each each search and rescue call is a little bit different based on the information they have, based on the the uh, the propensities of people, based on the details about this person's mental state. You know, depending on what those those specifics are that they that are known going into the call, we they will try to you know take very educated guesses on the best way to handle the search out search. And so, you know, if we we know that. This person was, you know, uh, not a, a brand new hiker, you know, 100 pounds overweight and has asthma. We're not going, we're going to probably concentrate our efforts into a tighter area right. as compared to, you know, you, if you look, if they, they look, if somebody's looking for me, they just might as well. <laughs> I mean, that basically I'm within an hour of being gone from my car, I'm probably going to be without, outside of a reasonable search area. You know, because That's crazy. That, if you think about it, like if my car is here, you know, if your car, you start your car at the center point, every hundred meters you get away from the car opens up so much more territory, you know, and, and, and eventually it gets so big and, you know, with something, if they were looking for me, they, they, they should probably deploy a helicopter and that they would probably do so because I would go, if I'm alive, I'm going to find a way to start a fire and signal. If I'm, if I know that I'm, <laughs> that I'm being looked for, right. you know, most of the time, you know, I, I, I would imagine they would probably take a few, it would take a little bit longer for somebody to deploy a search and rescue after me. When you go out, say for a hunt, or you're just you know film some content, or just go for a walk, do you have a process to let someone know, hey, I'm going to be parking the car here, I'll be in this general area? Like, what, what, at what point do you kind of feel obligated to tell someone where you're going? I generally do um, try to. Like, I will tell you all day, all day that you should tell somebody where you're going. Tell somebody where you're going. Tell somebody where you're going. Like. Am I the best at it myself? No. <laughs> uh, I do. I generally give some some general information, and as of late, you know, definitely I have just because, you know, I, after my separation and stuff, there's no one home to miss me, and so I've actually, you know, I'll reach out to friends and just like, hey, you know, I'm going to this. You yeah. know, it'll, it'll depend on the where I'm going because it's like my if I'm going up to where I was this last week. Uh, I'll talk to my friends that know the area. Hey, just a heads up, I'm going there. I'm planning on coming out around this. If you haven't heard me, me given a day or two, but like even on this trip, like if somebody was at home waiting for me and I didn't have a way to contact them, halfway <laughs> on the way home, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go take and spend a couple of days over here. And I took a little side trip, you know? And so I do my best to try to, to, to let people know, especially when I'm going, going yeah. deep. But uh but I could be better at that. <laughs> As you get yourself out there more and more, whether it's uh, mud, sweat, beards, uh, load stuff, natural geographic stuff, whatever you're doing social media-wise, you're growing. Do the offers that come into you, are there ever times where, I guess moving forward now, where you're kind of like, eh, that's not really who I am? Or obviously they know what you bring to the table by how authentic, genuine, how positive you are. Like you're, it's a, you're, there's someone that people can gravitate towards because it's so necessary. So I assume stuff comes in every day now where you're kind of like, that's not me. I'll pass. Or you want me to be who I'm not, who I'm not supposed to be. Like, so like, what's your process for that? Is it just a look it over? Nah, I'm good. Like, is there a team around you that's like, Hey, maybe Ray, maybe we should do this or Hey, maybe we shouldn't. 
Honestly, I actually had told my agent, I do have an agent that I work with, excellent guy, Mark Turner, out of uh, from A3, uh, A3 um, out of uh, New York. Yep. And um, he does a great job for me. And, and you know, I, I actually told him and that I would kind of, you know, I'm kind of, like, I, I never really considered myself a survivalist. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a mountain man, a homesteader, off-gridder, but... You know, the survival stuff is just one one part of my skill set that I, and it's not even my main focus. And so I actually kind of wanted to get out of the survival genre a bit. Um, I still wanted to be doing outdoorsy stuff. And so looking at that goal, we kind of definitely thought about the different opportunities that were coming in. And not to say I wouldn't take a, a survival genre one, but, it, you know, we're probably going to be a little bit more selective about it if it was going to be in that genre. And you know, after the alone, the 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 um, call through the wild, and then having mud, sweat, and beards, we're kind of, you know, we're trying to move things up in in a positive direction. Like I'm, I'm probably not going to go back and do, you know, a, a single episode show. Like you know, we're, yeah. we're looking at we're looking at growing growing my exposure rather than kind of going back and continuing. Yeah, doing of course. Things. So those are the things, but yeah, there's definitely some stuff we've we've, we've had had we looked at and we're like, yeah, that's that's not for us either because of the 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 plot of the the, the show opportunity or um, or just didn't feel good. It wasn't me, you know, type of thing, you know, like like yeah, <laughs> there, there's yeah. been a couple. Oh, I and I and the thing is, I'm always grateful and honored that like I'm. For me, I am just living my life, trying to live my best life daily. And I try, try to share my joy and my blessings with every people and inspire other people. It's pretty, pretty humbling that anybody is interested enough about me to reach out to me to put me on a TV show. And <laughs> I, I feel that and I, I'm grateful for the, the thoughts for anybody that reaches out for me with an opportunity. But yeah, every opportunity. No, of me. course. It uh, Before I let you go, Obviously, you're a you're a TikTok, uh, Facebook, Instagram. If what social media do you like people to reach out to you? Is it all of them? If people have a question for you or they wanted to say hello or thank you, which one do you want to send them to? Instagram's probably the be- the better one right now. My my Facebook with with the shows and stuff. My Facebook, my main profile is is pretty busy, pretty full. Um, and then, but I do have a uh, my my professional page. It's a, you know Ray living with predators. Uh, and my YouTube page is uh, is uh, Apex Living with Predators, um, but my my Instagram, which is uh, I think it's Ray Livingston Living with Predators, <laughs> as as well, uh, is probably the easiest one because it it's, it doesn't cap uh, cap the number of the number of friends or followers. Yep. And, and uh, it's, I'm on it regularly, so I can cor- I, and I try to cor- try to write back to anybody, and even if it's you know whether we're, we can have an adult if we can have we're having an adult dis- discussion about our disagreement on on a different topic or course of action you know i'm fine with having those discussions as yeah. well we are we adult, we're adults in our conversations uh at, or want to express support or or see or just watch and see what i'm doing next i never know what's coming up next <laughs> and my life has just been one tripping into one crazy awesome adventure after another pretty much daily <laughs> well uh i do hope there's more episodes of butt sweat beers because again i can't recommend that show enough for people to go watch it well, there, so. there, i can tell you there will not be 
Oh, so wow. They, they, yeah, they didn't, they, they, we, I don't, we, I don't know. I, we had the, the, the highest premiere of a reality show on USA Network in almost a year, in almost two years, and then the highest ratings in that time slot in two years. But for some reason, it wasn't the home run in that eleven o'clock slot time slot that the that the network wanted, and so that. And I think there's probably some a couple other peripheral peripheral production issues that that led them to not wanting to um, to reproduce the show to continue to invest in the show. They, obviously, they didn't get the 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 return on investment that they they expected to get, and so I respect them for that. And it's opened up some some other opportunities. Right. And, and uh, I've recently accepted an, an opportunity to do another another uh, place that will put me put me very much in the public eye. Uh, I'm a very popular show, so I'm excited about I it. I love it. Well, uh, if you go for a long walk, just send me a text so I know where you're going, and uh, <laughs> I'll send right, some pros. Hey, hey, well, you guys, you got it. You guys gotta get out of here. Barry hit me up, and he was like, uh, "Like, I wish I could come hang out with you like, next time." I, know, we, I think there's a chance, maybe in October, we may do something because we end up on the West Coast. So, uh-huh. yeah, because we're always texting. Man, I'd love just uh I, I can't say enough that Apex Predator stuff you're doing, and the the footage, and the trail cameras, and obviously what you kind well, of told again, me. It, if you're well, if you guys, if you're over, you know, wherever you're at, I there, there, the, the, the issue and the, 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 the imbalance is all over. So, right, you guys are in Oregon or Washington, and the, and the, whether it's West Side, East Side, we can come over and I can fight an adventure. We do not even have to necessarily harvest that animal if that's not something that they're interested in, or they want just want to see it and get video. We can see if we can't call, call one in and. And have a look at it, and, and have a <laughs> about as close to a look as a, at an apex better that they're going to get. No, I love it. I love it, uh, Ray. This has been great. Uh, thank you for your time. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk soon, sir. All right, brother. Always a pleasure, and thank you for all for everything that you've done in my life. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SPEARCHOP10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SPEARCHOP10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.